If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of September 11, 2022. The podcast that keeps them down on the farm. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's hyperoxygenate the news of the bogus. One thing claimed by the follow the science people who weren't following the science is that lockdowns are totes the way to deal with epidemics and pandemics, despite all of history and the scientific consensus both showing otherwise. So now, the experience with COVID-19 gives us another natural experiment to look at, since there were 10 states that never imposed a lockdown and 38 pairs of lockdown-non-lockdown states that share a land border. And a new study from the Brownstone Institute found, quote, The regulatory imposition and enforcement of statewide shelter-in-place or stay-at-home orders conclusively correlates with larger health status corrected per capita all-cause mortality by state. This result is inconsistent with the hypothesis that lockdown saved lives. This despite accusations levied to non-lockdown states or states with lockdowns that decided to end the policy that they were going to be death traps with grandmas dropping dead right and left. President Biden even called the Texas governor a Neanderthal for scrapping lockdowns and mask mandates. They were all completely wrong. We're not even talking about deaths from COVID versus the economic and mental toll the lockdowns had, which we've covered in the past. This is just about how effective it is at preventing deaths. Their methodology was to look at the all-cause mortality, or ACM, in pairs of states separated by a land border where one state had a lockdown policy and the other didn't. For a control, they looked at lockdown states that didn't share a border with any non-lockdown state. There were seven states that didn't issue any stay-at-home orders. North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Iowa, Oklahoma, Nebraska, and Arkansas. Three others suggested staying at home but didn't enforce it. Utah, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Looking at these pairs of states for the duration of the lockdown, they broke down the number of deaths per 10,000 residents per week. They also controlled for, quote, age distributions, obesity rates, poverty levels, physical and mental disability rates, and other health determinants. They expressed it as a ratio in the ACM of the lockdown over the non-lockdown state. Quote, If lockdown saved lives, then we would expect that most of the ACM ratios would be less than one. Instead, we see the opposite. For all three integration periods, the majority of ratios are larger than one. For the full lockdown period, 28 pairs have ACM ratios larger than one, while zero pairs have ratios less than one and the remaining 10 pairs have ratios indistinguishable from unity at 95% confidence. And that makes the results pretty clear. Quote, The ACM data from the past two years is inconsistent with the hypothesis that lockdowns saved lives. On the other hand, our results are consistent with the conclusion of Rancourt et al. that the excess deaths in the COVID period in the USA are caused by the government and medical measures and responses to the declared pandemic. In other words, we should have seen the same ACM, mutatis mutandis, in the lockdown states had they never locked down, and so the overall death rate should have been lower. Since every other variable was controlled for, the excess deaths can be attributed not to COVID itself, but to government policy regarding the pandemic. In other words, 
they would have been better off doing nothing. Quote, While a precise estimation of the excess mortality due to lockdowns is beyond the scope of this paper, we can make a rough estimate. On the basis of one calendar year, and for a population equal to that of the entire USA, this would correspond to approximately 110,000 deaths, which could be attributed directly to the impacts of ordering lockdowns and which would not have occurred if lockdowns had not been implemented. This value is consistent with the lockdown excess mortality estimate of 97,000 a year by Mulligan and Arnault. And again, this was not the scientific approach in previous epidemics and pandemics. You only quarantine the sick and infirm and engage in targeted protection of those most vulnerable to the effects of the virus. In this case, the elderly and those most vulnerable to respiratory disorder. And despite the attacks on the scientists behind the Great Barrington Declaration that we covered in the past, the WHO in 2019, the year before the pandemic hit, advocated just such a policy for influenza and other epidemics and pandemics. They made no mention of lockdowns and actually said that quarantining exposed individuals was, quote, not recommended because there is no obvious rationale for this measure. What a difference a year can make. But the WHO was far from the only ones taking that position. In September 2019, Johns Hopkins published the report, Preparedness for a High-Impact Respiratory Pathogen Pandemic. They found, quote, In the context of a high-impact respiratory pathogen, quarantine may be the least likely non-pharmaceutical intervention to be effective in controlling the spread due to high transmissibility. The lockdowns implemented in a majority of states in 2020 were unprecedented and not recommended by the science. The patchwork of lockdown policies results in a natural experiment that was a complete and total failure. Quote, The all-cause mortality data we have analyzed allows us to test the hypothesis that lockdowns saved lives during the COVID pandemic. We find that these data are inconsistent with this hypothesis. States with lockdowns experienced more all-cause deaths than neighboring states without lockdowns. We therefore conclude that this experiment was a failure of public health policy and that lockdown measures should not be used during future disease outbreaks. And the thought about who those excess deaths might have been should disturb anyone who claims to care about fairness and equity. Quote, Obviously, privileged Americans from the upper middle and professional classes did not die from staying at home. We were not able to examine which demographic groups were dying and how they were dying in each state. However, demographic information is available on a national level, and Mulligan and Arnaud found large increases in excess mortality among people ages 18 to 65 years, which is a demographic that was not at high risk from COVID. Thus, there exists strong evidence supporting the hypothesis that lockdowns placed a sudden and severe stress burden on vulnerable demographics in the U.S., leading to significant increases in death in those states that use lockdowns as disease control measures. How much more data are we going to need before government scientists and policymakers admit they got it wrong? If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators.
You can also use the library credits you create at Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Slippery Slope is not a fallacy. Remember when they said banning ads about cigarettes and alcohol wouldn't lead to anything else? Now, the city of Harlem in the Netherlands has banned the advertising of meat. And you might think this ban is made by vegans or because of all the long-debunked claims about red meat being bad for you, which I've covered at length. But no, it isn't because meat is bad for you, it's because it's bad for the environment. Beginning in 2024, meat will be added to a list of products banned from advertising because they're believed to contribute to global warming, a list that also covers holiday flights and cars that run on gasoline. And that includes ads from fast food chains. The claims that eating meat contributes to global warming are, at best, way overstated. They're based on things like how much land is used for cattle grazing, while not acknowledging that, for the most part, that land is unsuitable for growing vegetables for human consumption, which requires it to be more rich in nutrients. Even climate scientist Michael Mann dismisses the idea. And in case you're going to say I have no basis for my initial slippery slope comment, the Harlem City Councilor who drafted the motion, Ziggy Clases, said, quote, You can't ban adverts for a business, but you can ban adverts for a group of products for public health. Take the example of cigarette ads. Greenpeace claims that this is needed to meet the EU target of net zero emissions by 2050, while once again ignoring that a new fleet of nuclear reactors will do far more to meet that goal. And, in fact, far more forests are being cut down for solar and wind than for livestock. The ban comes as farmers are already protesting the Dutch government due to their idiotic plan to cut nitrogen fertilizer, not realizing that nitrating the soil can cause more carbon to be absorbed from the atmosphere due to increased foliage. But I'm sure without advertising, they'll totally reverse the 400,000-year-old trend of humans eating and loving meat. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age, so go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. 
You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. There's been a major setback with the Biden administration's illegal and unconstitutional drive to stop you from owning bent shapes of metal if he doesn't like the shape. The Second Amendment has always been fundamentally about the natural right of self-defense, which naturally extends to the right to craft and customize weapons for that self-defense, including firearms. That right is not subject to changes in technology or the advent of mass production. But gun control advocates have been using that as a way to violate our natural self-defense rights by using the fact that guns are mass-produced by corporations by using a corrupt and ahistorical reading of the Commerce Clause. That was the entire basis for the Gun Control Act of 1968, in fact. Also violating centuries of common law precedent, they've been blaming gun manufacturers for the actions of their customers and in some cases have successfully driven them into bankruptcy as we covered in recent years with the illegal and corrupt case against Remington. But through it all, no one has been questioning the right to manufacture one's own weapon. If you have the skills to make a gun, you can do so. There's no corporate structure, no interstate commerce, or anything else like that which would allow the federal government to worm their way in. But we've also been covering the pearl-clutching politicians have been doing about 3D printing and how it can enable people to produce their own firearms at home much more easily than they could in the past. But again, changes in technology don't affect our rights, and government doesn't get to suddenly intervene when exercising our rights becomes easier. To get around that, they created the derogatory and misleading term ghost gun, attacking citizens who have always had the right to make their own firearms. Enter former police officer Jennifer Vanderstock and licensed firearm instructor Michael Ondren. They owned components they intended to manufacture into firearms for their own personal use. There's one more thing government can't do. Just make up its own law without it being passed by Congress first. But that's just what the ATF did when they issued a new rule completely redefining firearms and how they're to be regulated, usurping the legislative power of Congress and massively infringing on the Second Amendment. The Gun Control Act says that a firearm can be defined as just the frame or receiver, but the new rule states, quote, The terms frame and receiver shall include a partially complete, disassembled, or non-functional frame or receiver, including a frame or receiver parts kit that is designed to or may readily be completed, assembled, restored, or otherwise converted to function as a frame or receiver. But they just got dealt a severe blow in Vanderstock v. Garland. A federal judge just granted a preliminary injunction blocking the ATF from enforcing their new regulations that prohibit Vanderstock and Andren from buying products with which to make their own firearms. The plaintiffs, who are clients of the Center to Keep and Bear Arms, sued in response to the ATF trying to enforce the rules against tactical machining, who produces not only parts for firearms, but products for the home gunsmith. The owner of tactical machining said the new rule made the company cease over 90% of its sales. Their credit card company also threatened to stop providing services to them, which is how 95% of its customers pay. The court said that, since Congress didn't define frame or receiver in the Gun Control Act, it's left to the ordinary meaning, 
not whatever meaning the ATF wants to make up. Quote, ATF's new definition of frame or receiver is facially unlawful. This further highlights that the final rule's expansion of authority to firearm parts that are not yet frames or receivers goes beyond Congress's definition. Section 478.12c is thus facially unlawful because it describes only parts that Congress intentionally excluded from its definition of firearm. It is purely an expansion of authority beyond the statutory language. And the court also ruled against the ATF's authority on this matter. Quote, ATF has no general authority to regulate weapon parts, but the final rule grants ATF that general authority by copying language used throughout the statutory definition. It takes phrases like designed to and may readily be converted and assembled from various places in the statute, cobbling them together to form ATF's own definition of firearm. Those terms may add a patina of credibility to the drafting, but they tarnish Congress's carefully crafted definition. More importantly, they unlawfully expand ATF's authority beyond the boundaries set by the Gun Control Act. The court found that the plaintiffs had a strong likelihood of succeeding on their claims, that they showed substantial threat of irreparable harm, and that this represents a public interest, not merely personal. It's also good to hear a court acknowledge that not all financial losses can be recouped afterwards. Quote, Generally, economic loss is not an irreparable harm because it can be recovered as damages at the end of the litigation. But an exception exists where the potential economic loss is so great as to threaten the existence of the movement's business. Tactical machining's evidence establishes as much here, and defendants do not contest otherwise. Instead, defendants argue that tactical machining can avoid loss of its business by simply complying with the rule. They say compliance is easy and cheap. Tactical machining need only purchase and maintain a federal firearms license. That argument has two problems. First, it misunderstands tactical machining's business. Tactical machining already has a federal firearms license. But even as a federally licensed manufacturer, tactical machining is unable to continue its direct-to-consumer sales of most of its products because those products are now firearms. Second, even if it were factually sound, defendants' argument relies on the incorrect legal premise that compliance costs are not an irreparable harm. To the extent the final rule would impose additional compliance costs, defendants admit that such costs are non-recoverable, and non-recoverable means irreparable. So hopefully this is how the case and all other such cases continue to go. How many times do courts, especially the Supreme Court, have to smack down these notions before the narcissistic would-be tyrants in the White House and the ATF get the idea? Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. 
They're just $9.99 apiece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to fractionalize this week's biggest bogani meter. And this week he goes to Joe Biden in another violation of our natural individual right to the means of self-defense by depriving them from people solely because they need medical marijuana. The DOJ has tried to have a lawsuit dismissed where they're being sued because they're depriving medical marijuana users of their gun rights, which Florida's Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed calls insulting, illogical, and ahistorical. The DOJ's psychotically insulting motion draws a stigmatizing link between state-licensed medical marijuana patients and violent felons, the mentally ill, and panhandlers. The DOJ said in its motion, quote, The Supreme Court held that a state firearms regulation violated the Second Amendment because it prevented law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their right to keep and bear arms. By contrast, the laws challenged here impose no burden on the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens. These laws merely prevent drug users who commit federal crimes by unlawfully possessing drugs from possessing and receiving firearms, and only for so long as they are actively engaged in that criminal activity. This is something else to throw in the face of people who insist that a background check won't stop marijuana users from buying guns. But understand, they're even talking about people who haven't been convicted of any crimes, not having seen their day in court, merely being a medical marijuana patient is enough to declare them criminals and take away their rights. And make no mistake, if they can do that with the Second Amendment, they can do that with the First, or Fourth, or Fifth, or any of them. They even went so far as to describe patients as, quote, those whose behavior or status would render their firearms possession a danger to themselves or the community. It's unashamedly capricious, since the Supreme Court just ruled that the Second Amendment should be considered with the intent of the framers of the Constitution and the historical context. And the framers knew all about marijuana. It was a major cash crop for them. The DOJ said, quote, Marijuana users with firearms pose a danger comparable to if not greater than other groups that have historically been disarmed. For example, like the mentally ill, drug users are more likely to have difficulty exercising self-control, making it dangerous for them to possess deadly firearms. They even made reference to disarming tramps, idiots, lunatics, and unvirtuous citizens. You know... If they should disarm idiots, the Biden administration should be the first ones they're seized from. As for unvirtuous, I guess we're back to legislating morality again. I wondered where those moral majority bozos had got to. Florida's response said, quote, Those are not even the most dubious comparisons or assertions the defendants advance, as they also appear to equate depriving state-compliant medical marijuana patients of their Second Amendment rights to the historical disarming of Catholics and Native Americans. The plaintiffs do not believe that such clearly unconstitutional restrictions have any application to this matter. As Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas said in a statement last year, quote, 
They deem state-compliant medical marijuana patients too violent to be trusted with a core constitutional right, but simply gloss over the fact that federal law protects those patients' actions. In fact, in sworn testimony to Congress, Attorney General Merrick Garland has stated that marijuana use is nonviolent and does not cause societal harm. The defendants analogize medical marijuana patients to felons, even though they have actual knowledge that federal law makes marijuana use a misdemeanor absent a prior offense. So all of that makes Joe Biden's administration this week's biggest bogan emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's de-aerate this week's Idiot And this week, it's the FBI for yet more anonymous fear-mongering leaks about the documents seized from Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. You know, the same way we found out that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction? From the same FBI that falsified evidence against Trump's campaign to get a FISA warrant and spy on him? From the same FBI who called parents speaking out at school board meetings domestic terrorists? Yeah, totally trustworthy. As reported by the media, the leak said that the FBI found, quote, a document describing a foreign government's military defenses, including its nuclear capabilities. No other details are given. It doesn't even say the document was classified. Of course, Trump was the president, and since this document is from his administration, he is absolutely authorized to see it. But of course, the claim is that the security at Mar-a-Lago is just so horrendous that it represented a huge risk to national security if the information ever got out. The thing is, even if we take this story at face value, even if we believe everything the FBI says 100%, Trump had these documents for 18 months and kept them secret. The FBI only had them a month, and they leaked to the press. Not a great point if you're trying to claim that Trump wasn't keeping the documents secure. Also not good if you're trying to convince the judge you don't need to appoint a special master, which they're still fighting, by the way. Christopher Kyes, one of Trump's lawyers, predicted that the leaks will, quote, continue with no respect for the process nor any regard for the real truth. This does not serve well the interests of justice. Moreover, the damage to public confidence in the integrity of the system simply cannot be underestimated. The responsible course of action here would be for someone anyone in the government to exercise leadership and control. 
The court has provided a sensible path forward, which does not include the selective leak of unverifiable and misleading information. There is no reason to deviate from that path if the goal is, as it should be, to find a rational solution to document storage issues which have needlessly spiraled out of control. We also know that, in addition to a lot of personal items they had no business seizing, they also seized a lot of items that are protected by attorney-client privilege. But it's okay, says the FBI, you can count on them because they're filtering through all that. That's not how attorney-client privilege works. It's something the FBI and the DOJ aren't allowed to see at all. Of course, it's things like that that the press isn't pointing out, just like the Washington Post, who went on to screech, quote, Cannon's ruling could slow down and complicate the government's criminal probe, particularly if the Justice Department decides to appeal over the unsettled and tricky questions of what executive privilege a former president may have. Except it's not unsettled. We know they maintain privilege. The Clinton sock drawer case determined that clearly. When Judicial Watch sued to get those documents under FOIA, the court ruled that these decisions are, quote, made by the president, during the president's term, and in his sole discretion. And yes, this was after Clinton left office. By the way, just a word of warning, do not read the comments. I looked there to see if I could find any comments that might possibly defend the FBI's behavior here. What I found instead was psychotic, deranged, hate-filled screeching by people who clearly didn't care the first thing about the truth, as they've been trained by the news media to be. So all of that makes the FBI this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this... My whole life has been a tissue of whoppers edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe by Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Jacob Sullum. It would be reassuring, in a sense, if the FBI's malfeasance could be explained by anti-Trump bias. But the fact that so many basic and fundamental errors were made by three separate hand-picked teams on one of the most sensitive FBI investigations, one that was briefed to the highest levels within the FBI, and FBI officials expected would eventually be subjected to close scrutiny, suggests a much deeper problem involving unrestrained overzealousness, confirmation bias, tunnel vision, and groupthink. Tendencies that threaten all Americans who value their privacy and reputations. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, not commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license. Bogosity. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. 
LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.